Samilla from Menswear by a Woman podcast. I hope you're all doing very well. Um, today's guest, I am so happy and absolutely honoured that he has actually said yes to come on to my podcast. He's very well known. He's one of the most amazing, well-known guru, I would say, of tailoring. Um, his name is Andrew Mudder Ram, Ram Rup. Apologies for um, the way I'm saying it because his surname, because I'm so excited that he's actually coming on to my podcast. Andrew, welcome to Menswear by a Woman podcast. It is an absolute honor to have you here. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for asking me. I feel equally honored to be asked. <laughs> I And actually, Andrew's wearing this most amazing pinstripe suit. The first when I first saw him this morning, I just said, "I love this suit." Oh wow, absolutely gorgeous suit, Andrew. I can't, I can't take my eye off the suit. <laughs> so there you go. And it's navy, and my favourite colour as well. So Andrew, I'm wanting to ask you. It's um, I've read a few. Navy a lot of and, navy, uh, sorry, sorry, to cut you across. It's navy and what I call cherry pink. Well, so the flower hole and the lapel matches the stripes and. And the you know, tie. coordinating ideas, you know. Yeah. Blues and pink are my favorite colors. Yeah, and they go so well. They go very well. I wanted to ask you, Andrew, how it all began because I've read about it. I read how you started and everything, but I would love to love you to tell us how it all began. And why in tailoring? Well, it began. Why in tailoring? It began a long time ago. I, when I was around thirteen, fourteen. Uh, I left school at a very young age because I aspired to learn to make trousers. Right. Uh, we call them back home. I'm, I'm actually from the West States, from Trinidad and Tobago. Right. And I came from a small village in the north of Trinidad. And I, there was a tailor shop not very far away from where I lived. I used to hang around that tailor shop and just look on at what they were doing. But what was happening is that I, the ideas of making garments was getting into my subconscious. Oh, wow. And so when I was about nine, I cut up my mother's pillowcase and I made what could loosely be described as a pajamas. And it was my first pants that I made. And I developed a, a liking for creating garments. I used to cut up bits of newspaper and try to stick it together and pin together and create garments out of them because I didn't have cloth. And I couldn't cut up too many of the pillowcases at that house. Now, that was the early beginnings of really wanting to create garments. When I was 13 going on 14, my last year of school was between the age of uh, 13 and just and before my 14th birthday. I spent all my evenings and the school holidays of that last year hanging about a tailor shop really looking on and looking on more intently. <clears throat> and so before my 14th birthday, I left school. And I started an apprenticeship, learning to make trousers. Mm. I learned very, very quickly. And for me, learning to make trousers was like a, a child learning to play a musical instrument. It came very, very easily. And that was the very, very beginning. Because between age uh, 13, well, 13 and a half to 14, and 17, I learned to make jackets as well, and I was making lots of suits. By age 17, 16, 17, I was making lots of suits. So from 17, I had saved enough money. All my pennies I'd been saving from when I was 14 years old. 
just 17 and a half. And I bought a boat ticket and I sailed, sailed to the world. Having left school at that young age, I hadn't done geography. Um, I didn't even look at a map. I knew Savile was in England, and I sailed to Southampton. Wow. Wow. And how did you find it when you came to Savile Was it like, you know, was it easy to get a job? Well, I had made myself two suits, and from 14 to 17 and a half years old, yeah. you know, I had three and a half years of, of experience in right, making yeah. suits, not cutting. I had no knowledge. Tailors do not teach you to cut because they're afraid if they teach you to cut, you steal their customers. <laughs> so you, you learn to make pants and you learn to make jackets so you work, work for them for the rest of your life. Oh, right. You couldn't go out and do business because you can't cut. You can't even do measurements. So I've never taken measurement of anyone or, or even cut any garments. It, my own trousers, my own suit, the boss cut them. I didn't cut them. And so when I arrived in Savaro, I had made myself two suits. When I arrived in England, I made myself two suits, and I wore one, and I carried it. And I came to Savaro the Monday after I arrived. I arrived on the Saturday, the Monday after. And that was August. Actually, we're in August now, so that is, no, we're, into, we're probably into September, the 1st yeah, of today's September the, today. Yeah, today's September. But last month, August 1917, is when I actually landed in Southampton. Oh. I came along Savaro looking for a job and obliquely opposite Savaro, Cantiate Street, there was a, a tailor with a, a small uh, sign out, uh, tailor wanted. I think they called it, um, at that time it would be pants hand, you're making trousers, trousers, jacket or finisher. So if a finisher was wanted, finisher is the one who makes all the buttonholes and all the hand stitches, the surface stitches and so on. And the tailor is the one who actually put the entire garment together, the jacket maker, the trouser maker, and so on. So I saw this sign the tailor wanted. I went in, and I was offered a position to start the following Monday. following Monday, I went in, uh, met the boss. He showed me where I, I was about to work. And then someone else came in, and the same advertisement that was out in the window. And he came in. He was a similar age to me, actually. Might have been, might have been a, a year or so younger. And asking for the same position. The difference is that he had no experience. He wanted a position as a, a, a raw apprentice, and mine was uh, the jacket maker. However, 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes after I got my space to work, boss came back upstairs, it was it was uh, upstairs workroom, and said, um, have you ever used an iron like this? Because I hadn't started any work yet. Right. And I said, no, because, you know, the iron I used was a different iron. But if you plug an iron on, it gets hot, right? <laughs> but I hadn't used an iron exactly like the same, but I, I use a different kind of iron. He said, well, if you haven't used an iron like this, you can't work here. Okay. And he gave this other guy... Uh, his name was Richard Payne, a, a white guy. He gave him my bench, and I was, um, before I started work, I actually was fired. <laughs> but um, I think he saw the disappointment in me, and he may have felt a, a degree of um, 
embarrassment probably or yeah. responsibility. And so he called up a couple of it. One of his friends at Salvador and said, you know, I'm sending someone around. Uh, if you can offer him a position or just have a chat with him. So all of this happened that's about nine, 20 past nine or so. By 9.30, I'm now literally on Savile Row, directly opposite where I am now. Actually, I'm currently at number nine Savile Row, and the opposite is number 33 Savile Row. I got to number 33 Savile Row, met a, a gentleman called Jim Welshman. Jim Welshman, actually, a very gracious man. He liked the suit I was wearing, the one I had with me. Yeah, he established, did I actually make that? You know, I'm 17 and a half years old. Um, looking pretty, pretty young, pretty thin and full head of hair and just about growing moustache and so on. Uh, I look pretty baby-faced. And I said, yes, I made it. He said, well, have you got a machine at home? You could make, you could be an art worker for me. And I said, no, I just, I just arrived um, in the country and uh, I have no facility. And this time I was really staying in an attic room, literally an attic room with the sink and the cooker on the landing and with a sloping roof and a skylight through the skylight I, it was the only light that we had on wow. top of the landing uh, and he called up Huntsman which was across the road from him next door mm -hmm. to us um, and spoke to the boss at Huntsman and says look have a, have a chat with this young man went over to Huntsman so by 10 o'clock by 10 o'clock, got fired at 20 past nine. By 10 o'clock, I got a job at Huntsman. Wow. And that was my first real job on Savile Row. Wow. That is some story. And luck must have, I mean, your work, your work actually showed them that you're very good. That was the, that's the, the latter day or the former day, perhaps. Um, that is, you really, your calling card, your CV, your resume was mm -hmm. the work you did, uh, the, the ability that you had, the, what you can promise an employer. That is, it, it, it isn't, wasn't a printed CV, it wasn't a degree in, from anywhere. It was getting a position. And I, I got a position, oddly enough, I was offered 12 pounds a week. And when I left Trinidad, I was earning about 11 pounds 50 a week. The equivalent of 11.50 and to come all the way to England and we offered 12 pounds a week was was no money but it was Savile Row and the difference however here I would start work at 8 a.m. and finish at 6 p.m. Monday to Friday when I was in Trinidad I started at 20 past 7 in the mornings and I finished about 9 at night so I can earn 11 pounds 50 so I had a lot of extra time from and evenings and weekends and that's when I really really began to to work the other jobs evening jobs Saturday jobs and begin to, to earn some money so I can prepare myself for attending London College of Fashion. Wow it's, it's the determination I suppose. It was determination it was perseverance yeah. to Attending a College of Fashion as a foreign student, it cost at that time around nine hundred pounds. Wow, that's a, a lot year. of money. You know, to do a three-year degree, it was twenty-seven hundred pounds. I could literally buy a detached house for two thousand pounds. Wow. 
but it was more important that I was trained and trained properly. Yeah. The job at Huntsman was interesting. I had heard of Savaro, I had heard of the known persons who came to Savaro from all over the globe to have the suits made, to have the garments made, to have whatever they wished to, to wear and then tailored on Savile Row. And I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to be at the front of a shop where I can design, take measurements, show cloth, you know, communicate with customers, yeah. bring to life their ideas from, yeah. from the very embryonic stage to yeah. the end product. But when you're in the back room in Savile Row, you don't even get a look in in the front. In fact, the second day I went to Huntsman, I entered through the front of the shop like I did the first day for the interview. And I was told, you can't come in here. And I thought I was fine. And I said, you come in at the back. How do I come in at the back? I didn't know there was a back entrance. I had to come out of the shop, turn left and walk along Savile Road, turn left again, walk along Vigo Street, turn left again and walk up Regent Street, turn left again and walk into Hedden Street and then turn right up Hedden Street and then the entrance to the back of the shop is on your left. What? Those are the exact directions. And I had to go all the way around to get to the back of the shop. No more, no more than a few yards away from the front of the shop where I was literally standing. So oh that's, that, that was my introduction on the second day at Huntsman. Wow. Um, um, I don't know what to say. <laughs> You know, I'm just like. You know, I'll tell you. I'll tell you this, uh, Sammy. Those early experiences, when I came from Trinidad, I wasn't aware of or familiar with anything like racism. Yeah, my father spoke about a few it, things as well. When my father it, came, my it, father it came very. Yeah. My father came at a very early age by himself to London. And um, I, I heard stories as well, what, what they, what he did as well. Um, you know, he worked very hard. I had, uh, with all his spare time, I got a Saturday job on the King's Road in Chelsea, right. where, you know, the tail end of his was really, really exciting. Uh, gola style shoulders, rope crown sleeves, broad lapels, uh, slim waist, flat trousers, velvet suits. Uh, really, really exciting time actually to be in the world of fashion and style. And I was doing alterations for a chain of shops. They had 15 branches. I was doing alterations there. And I learned actually to produce quickly because sometimes you'd have a customer buy a suit, needed some adjustments, yeah. and they wanted the same day. And so that Saturday job, believe it or not, paid me six pounds a day. I was getting 12 pounds all week at Hudson's and I was getting six pounds a day. Wow. That was like, I was able to, to save and that's how I started saving because I wanted to get to the front of the shop and the only way to get to the front of the shop, I thought, it was to get some formalized training in several style of cutting, fitting and making garments because we make garments back home in Trinidad differently to what we make here on Savaro now. Yeah, yeah. And so I decided that if I was really wanted to get to the front of a shop, I needed to go out and get training. So I initially signed up and I paid a deposit of 15 pounds at the Tailor and Cutter Academy. 
And then I went for an interview at the London College of Fashion. And the deposit I had to pay was $150. I still actually have that receipt, believe it or not. Wow. I paid a deposit for that for that um, position. Um, at the interview, past the interview, paid the deposit out of all my savings. This is 1972. And this, you know, £150 for me in 1972 it's, it's was a, a fortune. Money. Yeah, it's a lot of money. All of my savings. Yeah. And, but I, I, you know, Attending college was important to me. And so I, after the first year, the principal calls me into the office and said, uh, you know, you've done really well. We have 15 students who starts in the first year and we select 10 for the second year. Then we have a selection process for the final year of eight. So from 15, there are 10, and then from 10, there are eight. And I thought it was going to be bad news. But he said to me, if you can complete the three-year degree in two years, we'll skip you the second year. We'll go straight on to the third year. Wow. That was music to my ear. Because not only was I still in love with cars, I could then get back into Sabah one year earlier. So uh, two years later, 1974, July 1974, I graduated. With a, uh, they created actually a special diploma for me. It's, it's a white, a white large, mm-hmm. large, larger than A4 yeah. uh, certificate of distinction in tailoring. Came out with my certificate, and by that time I'd made myself a few suits and uh, carried one again in the same format like I did when I came from Trinidad. Carried one and was wearing the other, uh, came around looking for a job. I had 11 appointments. But in addition to that, I did not want to be tailor in the back room anymore. I wanted to be in the front. I wanted a position as an undercutter. Right. You don't get a position as a, as a cutter. You get a, an apprentice position as an undercutter, and then you work your way up, hopefully. And uh, I had 11 appointments. No one would take me in the front of the shop. I got turned down even with the company that I got an internship while I was at college. The internship wasn't tailoring, but when I I got that interview, they promised me a job when I when I finished college. When I got to to that interview, they said not at the front. The job is at the back room. Then another tailor, they all told me that front. Only two actually said to me, not at the front of the shop. Uh, they all just turned me down. The others just turned me down. But uh, one of them actually was quite um, dismissive when he said, our customers would not take kindly to a foreigner. But if you wanted a, a job in the back room, uh, we'll have you as a tailor. Now, I was determined enough. By that time, I'd spent from 1966 to now in 1974. You know, at, at least seven years of proper training. Yeah. I had experience, I had knowledge in the field. And I was determined to do what I, and, and really develop my, my skills in an area that had not been developed, which was really cutting and fitting, communicating with customers. I was determined to get in front of a shop. And so I didn't accept any of those backroom positions. I would go back almost every interview 
you to Mr. Clark, a fine gentleman at London College of Fashion. He was principal. And I'd say to Mr. Clark, I didn't get a job. I didn't get a job. I didn't get a job. Now, if you can imagine the eight graduates looking for a job in and around Savile Row in the city of London, the world's your oyster. Everyone, they'd be clamoring to employ you. But only if you were white. Not otherwise. And so I would go back and I would say I didn't get a job. And then one day after everyone was placed, <coughs> and it was too late actually, Maurice said, well, Maurice said, well, call the college and ask if we had any graduates. And Mr. Clark, and I still have that bit of paper as well, it gave me 7340824, the phone number. I think it was Wednesday, whatever date that was. Um, July, you interview at Maurice Sedwell. I came, I saw Mr. Mr. Sedwell. Uh, he interviewed me, he offered me a four week trial. Now, everyone was asked to uh, ask for a salary of 30 pounds a week. And they got their 30 pounds a week. Because that was the going rate. I came to Mr. Sedwell, I asked for 30 pounds a week. He said, well, we'll offer you 25 pounds and a four week trial. So I accepted it at Savile Row and it's at the front of the shop. And um, after probably a few days, maybe, uh, I think it might have been more than a few days. I think it was probably, I was a week, week and a half into the job. He said, don't bother about the trial, you, you've got a job here. And I got my 25 pounds in the first week and it was like, oh, it was like suddenly become very wealthy again. That story. Um... I, I'm, I'm just um, when I hear that story, I feel like um, I don't know. I feel like the determination, the perseverance. My own experience is what I mean. Right. Had had any of them, any of those who turned me down, given me a job, I don't think I would have had the opportunity that I had with Mr. Sedwell. True. I think they did a favor by turning me down. True. Even way back in 1970, when Anthony Sinclair preferred a white person to me, and uh, Huntsman at the back room, me wanting to be at the front, deciding maybe I should go to college. The 11 appointments I had they turned me down. They were signposting me someplace else without their realizing it. They were saying there is another position better for you. They weren't saying that. The universe was saying to me that there is another position for you. And it is not here. Yeah. And the universe was working with those persons to turn me down. I had equally challenged times um, in Trinidad to get to learn the trade. I mean, I was young, I was 14 years old. Um, I had a lot of difficulties in getting the opportunity to learn to make jackets. I learned to make trousers with one tailor, but I wanted to learn to make jackets and he wouldn't teach me. So at that time, I would, didn't understand it. that is because I, white guys were being preferred against me. Yeah. Because if I was back home, we wouldn't have that, that situation. Um, but when I came here, it was clear. I said, I used to, I make excuses for these uh, these employers, 
because I say, you know, they didn't have the confidence in themselves. Uh, if they had confidence in themselves and uh, and uh, commitment from the customers, the customers would make a judgment against um, who they have in the front of the shop and yeah. who they have dealing with them. Yeah, yeah. If they had the confidence in themselves, then they would employ anyone who they, they thought had the ability. Mm. So that sometimes I see that as making an excuse for them. But I, I think it's perhaps lack of confidence, perhaps a little lack of uncertainty about you know, racism, a little bit of everything came into the mix. But they were all doing me a favor. They were my mentors, just saying, oh, no, it's not here. You, there's a better position someplace else. And when I got a job at Morris well, and uh, I, it wasn't the job that I thought it was. It was meant to be uh, as understudied to Mr. Several, undercutter and so on. But it was cutting the trimmings. Trimmings is cutting the linings, cutting the, yeah. the pockets, putting the pocket bag, the zips, and putting all the, yeah. all the yeah. bits and pieces of those into the garment that then the tailor would do. I was doing alterations. Um, if a customer would come in, um, I wouldn't get to see that customer, but someone would make the pattern. I was what is called a striker. I would then strike the marks around the pattern and they would check it and then do the cutting and so on. So I was doing a little bit of that, but I was doing a little bit of everything. Um, I used to go to the bank to do the deposits of the cash at that time, it was all cash withdraw the, the cash for salaries. And then if Mr. Sever wasn't away, was away, he wasn't, wasn't in for whatever reason, I would get asked to do jobs in the office. I then began to calculate the national insurance contributions, the taxation, yeah. and then put together the, the cash and put it in an envelope for the salaries, salaries. And I was learning to run a business without me realizing it. It wasn't a job that I expected. And I resented it, actually, because I really wanted to be in the front, and I really wanted to be involved in cutting all the time. I resented it. But what I didn't realize, it wasn't the intention, but I was learning to run the business. I was really learning the back rooms. And so all of these things I was being pushed to do that I didn't want to do, actually, was also the universe saying, this is what you really need to do. So on three occasions, I was offered different positions. That um, Saturday job I had, I continued with yeah. throughout my college period and throughout uh, my period of Morrisville. And then I was offered a full time position there to pay me double what I was getting at Morrisville. By that time, I had a, an increase. I was earning about forty pounds at Morrisville, forty pounds a week. And uh, this job offer was eighty pounds a week, forty to eighty. No, I was going to leave. And then Mr. Sedwa said, I'll, I'll raise your salary to 75. Wow. So I always had to pull back a fiver. <laughs> and he raised my salary to 75. And um, yeah, and I stayed at Morris Sedwa. I continued teaching at London College of Fashion yeah. part time, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Right. I had the pounds that Morris said, well, I had to Saturday. I took the Saturday job. I kept the Saturday job. And by that time, I was making suits for friends and, you know, whoever could. And I was working, 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 working. But saving is in my DNA. And I saved and paid. And then the principal at London College of Fashion took me out to lunch and he said, we have a position coming up. We really want you to apply for it. And uh, 
described a package and it was very attractive. But I wanted to be in Sabagro and I, I turned that down. The third offer I had, well, it wasn't so much an offer. The third opportunity I had was to start my own business right. in 1988, 14 years later. And so I said to Miss said, well, I'd like to, I'd like to, I'm ready to leave and start my own business. And he said, if anyone should leave, is everybody else but you. Oh, wow. And if you can raise about the business, then, then the opportunity is there for you to buy it. And that's what happened. I had saved enough and I had borrowed from the bank, the same bank that, uh, that the company banked with. So they had a pretty good idea of what the state of affairs was like. Right, okay. And I bought the business in 1988, August 1988 as well, another, another August anniversary. Wow. Amazing story, Andrew, amazing. Um, it's so weird how you say, um, my father was once who said to me when he was going into work, he forgot to put a tie on, right? And this was in the 60s, I think. Uh, the manager, whoever he was, sent my father back home to go and put his, um, you know, to put his tie back on. So my dad had to go all the way back home, put his tie on and then come back and then take the tie off to wear, you know, the chef costume, which I couldn't understand it, why they, you know, I said to my dad, why would they do that? And my father said, you know, sometimes you have to understand and it puts you into it's the expectation. Yeah. It, that's the word. He, he said, of professionalism. Yeah, professional gentleman. That's all I can say. Um, just the love, point you made about the shoes. His shoes. The shoes will work. always be shiny. Always shiny, Andrew. I would see my father shining his shoes. It will always be be shiny. I've never ever seen my father's shoes dirty ever. If it was dirty. It would be well. It was never dirty, never dirty. So um, you know, it's. It, I've never ever seen my father's shoes dirty. Never, and I've never seen him wear jeans. He, never, never. He, he's one of the, and uh, trainers would never go near my father's feet. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Very <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I know, but he would never wear them. So, Andrew, has it changed, Savaro? Obviously, it has changed compared to when you first started and all that. Because at the moment, there's a lot of new brands coming in, young brands. Um, you know, all. I mean, there's loads of new ones that I've seen so far. And it must have changed a lot from what you so, came from. Savaro has changed a lot. They. Um... The brands that are on Savaro are not bespoke tailors. They're right. ready to wear brands. Right, They're okay. made to measure brands. Okay. There's a coffee shop, there's a shoe shop. Yeah. There are lots of other type of businesses coming onto Savaro. Because Savaro, the name Savaro as a brand, has a, a romantic appeal internationally. Right. So if you were in Savaro, you get treated with some degree of respect in the industry. Yeah, of course. Uh, not that you are an excellent bespoke tailor, but that uh, it's just the right address. Um, so what do you find now? Um, the, the discerning would give an opportunity, if you will, from a different background. Right, okay. As they would recognize that the shoppers who come along Savile are very international. There's a lot of footfall in Savile now. 
Whereas in the past, Savaru was not a thoroughfare for anywhere else. It was very much a street by appointment. Yeah. And uh, you wouldn't get, it's a one-way street. You wouldn't get much traffic up and down. It's not a, a, a thoroughfare to go to a tube station or any such thing. It's, a, it's, like, it's a, a side street, parallel to Regent Street. Yeah. And you'll have all the excitement in Bond Street and Regent Street, but Savaru was pretty dead because customers only came in by appointment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's completely different. It's it's uh, just like any other exclusive luxury shopping street. Do you think it's lost? Not that everything. That we... do you, Andrew, do you think it's is that sad or is that is it good? It's a travesty. Okay. It's an absolute travesty. Several was the benchmark of quality and service in this book dealing. Yeah. Particularly in men's Facebook dealer. That's not the case anymore. Sabre is just another street. And there are very, 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 very few tailors yeah. who do exclusive handcraft bespoke tailoring. Very few. Wow. They're probably you know, there was I think there were twenty two tailors and tailoring shops on Sabre when I came here in nineteen seventy. I would say exclusive tailor shops might be five. Wow. If that many. I'll struggle to count five. Oh I probably, God. I could think of, uh, including Maurice Sedwell, I could th- I could think of four. Wow. I can't think of one of four. That's quite it tragic. That's tragic, right? It's, um... And it's not to say, it's not to say that um, this is a shock. We're extremely busy. But what has shrunk is the business owner's inability to train others and the selfishness of wanting to just keep within certain families, right. wanting to keep exclusivity yeah. with a connection with the customers right. within a family. Wow. Yeah. How, how has it, um, within your business, you'd say you're very, very busy, right? Um, and you know how made to measure is coming in and everything. Has that changed the customer reference as well? Where someone who comes to you would also go into the other stores that are made to measure, which is probably much slightly cheaper, I presume. Yes, it's, it's slightly cheaper. Some is substantially cheaper. But a made to measure is really a garment that's made in factory to your measurements. Right. Okay. With a basic, basic style. Yeah. Not that you might get to choose the lining, but not really very much else. The cloth and the lining and the measurements. Yeah. It's not handmade. If we 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 do not do made to measure. If we were to go down a route similar, we would describe it as semi bespoke, and it would be made by Morissette or tailors. Right. It okay. would not be made in a factory. It would be made by our tailors. And there is a way that we can possibly do that in future, but that's probably maybe three to five years down the road. We'll okay. probably go down that road, but not, not at all. As long as I'm deeply involved with this company, we'll remain ultra bespoke dealers. Do you see it changing soon? Because the way the rhythm is changing in menswear. I could see the change in Maurice Seville as a company yeah. happening 
say, in three, five, seven, ten years. Yeah. Developing a luxury brand. Yeah. A luxury brand that even do handmade shoes. Uh, we do shirts currently, and this is one of our shirts. Okay. We do shirts. We we uh, I select just the silks, and we make our own ties. Our collection of ties are, are you know quite unique with the contrast that I I do on ties. A little bit of the color of the tie you yeah. know, peeking through. Yeah. It's just little touches. I like to keep my ties different to most ties that you buy. Um, probably not anything ready to wear, and even sometimes I actually need to order. Is that Morris said? Well, probably the only thing ready to wear is having a tie made, or having a tie from our stock, or having a set of, of braces. But not. I think the change would probably be uh, uh, between three and five years doing a semi-bespoke service. And what would actually drive that would be we currently exclusively buy what. We are not a, a ground floor walk-in shop. We are on an upper floor. We're the only tailors in Savoy at an upper floor. At number nine, Savoy is my settlement. No one else. Everyone's on the ground floor. So we do not have a, a shop front presence. We have to be producing an excellent product to get the referrals because we have never done any paid marketing or paid promotions. Yeah. And we do not do that. We work strictly by, I shouldn't say strictly, but we work mainly by referrals. And we get written about, we get covered uh, quite a bit in the media. And of course, we have a website. And nowadays, a prospective customer would actually do their research before they're coming to see us. So they're kind of 50%, almost 75% sold. They're really coming in to make a decision. And sometimes decision is based on the price point. And they have a couple other appointments. And they may well make the appointment and, and make a decision rather on either the price, but never the quality or the service that we give. It, it could well be that someplace else might be offering a service, a bespoke service, but at a low price. Could well be that. Could also sometimes be a personality thing. Decide to try someone else. Could be uh, if some prospective customers like the historical connection with Southern, yeah. and it goes back centuries. We haven't got that. We're only 80, I think we're 83 years old as a company. Wow. Uh, I've only for more than 30 years, yeah. but uh, 35 years actually. Um, but you know, it, people make decisions for various reasons. But we have, on new inquiries, we have around 75-80% um, conversion from an inquiry to a customer. Pretty high, actually. Yeah, it is. Um, do you think it's... I, um... think it's probably, I think it's probably because we have our own unique style. Yeah. Uh, our, our style is distinctive from every other tailor, not just in Southern Europe, but in the world. I've designed a, a silhouette that only uh, you can get it at Morris said well. The detail, the style details, on fashion. We're more style and elegance rather than fashion. Fashion is a moving target, it's seasonal. Yeah. You know, fashion is to describe what you have so you can go out and buy something new. Yeah. Um, and being connected with style and elegance yeah. and longevity 
yeah. and handcraft delivery and cutting and fitting in harmony with the body shape. Those are the values that we uh, employ when it comes to communicating with a customer and producing a product for that customer. Um, you're training the newcomers, right? You're doing a lot of training for newcomers because it's basically if you don't train um, you know, a new generation, then obviously tailoring will slowly, slowly go kind of thing. Um, bespoke tailoring I'm talking about. Can you see it growing? Oh, yes, indeed. Because okay, those who might train at the Savaro Academy, or we train at Savaro Academy, right. it's almost like going through a one-year interview without they being aware of it. Right, okay. And the objective here is keeping a high standard attainable multi-skill training in pattern cutting, mm -hmm. fitting, and tailoring, mm -hmm. and jacket trousers and clothes, mm -hmm. diagnosis of problems and remedy. Mm -hmm. So those are the modules that we teach. And it's up to that student, after they qualify, to decide whether they want to start their own collections, whether they start their own business, whether they want to work for someone else, or and if we think that they've got the attitude, whether they want to work for more, say, well. And so if the opportunities can be offered, then I think there will always, always be uh, a group, a cardio of individuals who really want to be bespoke tailors. What our three and five and seven and ten year plan is, yeah. I can tell you this time, is that in the, the next training, um, that we're going to be starting in 2025, 26. Right. No, it's 2025. Is that we're going to be offering a guaranteed position. Oh, wow. At Morris. For those who um, joined the Cyber Academy for the first time, you know, we've been, uh, our first intake was in January 2008. Right. Um, and, we train and actually everyone else that works in Morissette has been trained at Sapporo Academy. Okay. But, uh, but it's not a guaranteed position because we can't take 12 or 15 course, graduates yeah. every year. But we'll be offering them a position if they wanted to work at Morissette well from the, the cardi of trainees that we're going to start in 24, 25. Yeah. Wow. That's a three, that's a three, by three and five plan. Exciting times. Yeah. Very exciting times. Last question, Andrew. Um, I know you have, you've got a meeting at 11. Who's your favorite tailor? I actually see him uh, every day. <laughs> Who may that be? <laughs> you know? When I look in the morning, I actually tie my tie. <laughs> And, I, uh, <laughs> and, then say, yeah. and that's it. I actually make my own suit. I make my own suit. I made this one. Well, I, yeah. well, you know, if you have the craft and you, if you have the art, why wouldn't you? Yeah, I. Why wouldn't you? I am totally connected to what I do. I, 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 I would. It's no exaggeration for me to say I'm emotionally connected to my skills. Yeah. And I, I have always that. been committed to delivering excellence. Yeah. I've always looked at my work and my own competition. Yeah. I've always looked at my work, uh, critique my own work, critical of my own work, and things. think of how can I distinguish myself and Saburo when everyone's making suits? Yeah. 
um, I started by the style uh, with the colors that I use with the flower holes and, and interesting linings and, and the tie. And then I thought, well, what it is that I can distinguish ourselves? And it, I started looking at the way I could tailor garments. So we can take something that's essentially flat, mm-hmm. a piece of cloth, and create mm-hmm. a three-dimensional form of it to look stylish, to look elegant, for it to be subtle art, as opposed to just making a suit and selling a suit. We don't sell a suit. We project a subtle image for our customer. And so that communication that we have with our customer is really buying into the, the, the richness, the wealth, if you like, of what we are all about as a small company in Sabaran. I, I, I emphasize the word small because to keep that relationship, uh, you've got to, our pedigree has to be what it is now. It has to continue to be the quality of our service. Wow. I mean, I think um, what you've just described and what you just said, especially the soul touching part of your art and how it touches your soul, that's the most beautiful thing. Um, you know, and it's so, so true because if it doesn't touch it, if it doesn't touch your soul, then you're not doing the correct thing. <laughs> it does, if it doesn't touch it. So, on. I mean, <laughs> sorry, what was that, Andrew? If you, if you if you consider this, the persistent gold medal winners at the Olympics, yeah, and anyone who is industry and commerce in any field of endeavor, those who who's really achieved at the high levels, they, they've got something special. You look in sports, yeah, they've got something special yeah. that they that they set themselves. Yeah very, very high standards. I've set standards, achievable goals myself. And when I then achieved that, then I set another higher achievable goal. And then again, another higher. And I kept climbing by setting myself my own standards. Yeah. And that is what, by, as I said, being competitive with myself is what, what made us who we are as a small company. Yeah. Because we've grown, we've made such customers now from 60 countries, small but very international, global. Well, I like to say sometimes we're a household name and the households we want to be named at. But you are though. You're, you're, yes, that's how it is. But also, Andrew, I, I believe Probably. in um, hard work and if you have loads of obstacles coming your way and you're trying to achieve whatever you're trying to achieve, it's it only teaches you a lot about how important it is to you. Because no matter what obstacles you come through and you come across, you know, you will still, you'll still over, you'll overcome it and you'll still carry on with it because it teaches you a lot about it. And I think that is what taught me about menswear, even though I went through so much hardship and all, I still am, but I'm still learning and I'm still grateful that I'm still in it and I'm still doing what I love. And no matter what happens, like yourself, you, you do it because of the passion and the love you have for it. To a large extent, I regard obstacles as opportunities. If there's an obstacle, it's how do you overcome that? You know, the ambitious would climb over barbed wires while others will search for a gate. It is, it is that you would you will overcome 
those obstacles, yeah. while others might be looking for an easy way out. And on that note, Andrew, I'd just like to thank you so, so much for coming on to Menswear by a Woman podcast. It has been an absolute honour, absolutely honour. And, you know, I know I've read about you. I've waited and waited and waited. And you know what? It is just been, you've made my year. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> Talking to you has been the most honour speaking to you. It's been absolutely a privilege and an honour. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me onto your podcast. I really appreciate it. Your timing is perfect. You know, I go back to Trinidad on Sunday. I know. And I'm a little, I travel quite a lot for the company. I just happen to be here now. So it's great. Thank, thank you, you, Andrew. Thank you.